0: The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting and it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvellous stuff, marvellous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to another edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Tuesday, April the 14th, 2020. I hope that you are coping as best you can with what we are all going through, but various degrees of it, of course, with this pandemic. Hang in there. It's obviously a very difficult and bumpy ride that we are on. Some of us experiencing a lot of pain and suffering and heartache and heartbreak and tragedy. And some of us not so much. But we are all going through this no matter what. We all are in this together. Some of us not as much because, of course, some of us aren't feeling this in severe ways. Carl Anthony Towns has real grief these days. He lost his mother, the NBA player Carl Anthony Towns, losing his mother to coronavirus yesterday, very, very sad indeed. So my condolences go to the family of Carl Anthony Towns and, of course, to Carl Anthony Towns himself for a really tragic and very sad loss, his mother, Jacqueline, who was a true warrior and a loving soul to the family, and to Carl Anthony himself. Really sad to hear about this. Carl Anthony Towns did a video on Instagram several weeks ago saying that his mother was in an induced coma fighting for her life. And sadly she lost that fight yesterday. So again, my sincere condolences and most heartfelt condolences to him and to his family. And may Jacqueline rest in peace. Before getting to today's main thought, I wanted to just give some of the headlines to you in case you were not aware of them. Some of the things happening over the last few hours. In the latest news that's going around, in case you are not aware, and I think this is important, The IMF has literally said that the global economy will suffer its worst year since the Great Depression. That's an article in the Associated Press today by Paul Wiseman and Martin Kretzinger. I'm just going to read a few bits of this. Dateline Washington. This is today. Beaten down by the coronavirus outbreak, the world economy in 2020 will suffer its worst year since the Great Depression of the 1930s, the International Monetary Fund says in its latest forecast. The IMF said Tuesday that it expects the global economy to shrink 3% this year, far worse than its 0.1% dip in the Great Recession year of 2009 before rebounding in 2021 with 5.8% growth. It acknowledges, though, that prospects for a rebound next year are clouded by uncertainty. The bleak assessment represents a breathtaking downgrade by the IMF in its previous forecast in January before COVID-19 emerged as a grave threat to public health and economic growth worldwide. The International Lending Organization had forecast moderate global growth of 3.3% this year. But far-reaching measures to contain the pandemic, lockdowns, business shutdowns, social distancing and travel restrictions have suddenly brought economic activity to a near standstill across much of the world. This is an echo of what the managing director of the IMF said last week, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, that this was going to be happening that there's going to be some severe pain and heartache. In fact, the IMF yesterday announced that it was forgiving debt to a number of countries who are developing nations, so to speak, who are struggling, obviously, at this time. That is in the Associated Press today. The headline, once again, IMF global economy will suffer worst year since depression.
1: that so many of our fellow americans are feeling so today i am asking all americans i'm asking every democrat i'm asking every independent i'm asking a lot of republicans to come together in this campaign to support your candidacy which i endorse to make certain that we defeat somebody who i believe and i'm speaking just for myself now Uh, is the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country.
0: That was Bernie Sanders, and you may have heard an audible reaction there from Joe Biden, who is the presumptive Democratic nominee for president. He became that last Wednesday when Bernie Sanders ended, or I should say suspended his presidential campaign. And yesterday, that sound you just heard was from yesterday when Bernie Sanders, who really is showing himself, if anybody doubted it, to be a true leader. That is true leadership from Bernie, who just five days ago suspended his campaign and now has jumped on board the Biden train here now. That is leadership now. Hardly. Who, you will not find a politician who will do that so quickly. As a number two challenger, you cannot find one who just five days after suspending his own campaign has jumped on board the Biden train. Bernie Sanders was the number two challenger in this race. Right? I should say the number one challenger to Joe Biden. And nobody that i can remember in history as a number one challenger to the eventual nominee has ever turned around so quickly after suspending their presidential campaign to endorse that person that defeated them certainly if we look back at recent history at recent history bernie sanders did not do that with hillary clinton it took him i think about almost 2 months before And that was a pretty bitterly contested race, to be frank. This one was not quite as bitter. It certainly took Hillary Clinton. It took her more than five days after Barack Obama defeated her for the nomination back in 2008. It took her um, a little more than about over two months before she joined in. When, I mean, it was just incredible. He clinched the nomination at the convention in late June, I believe it was, or actually before that. But Hillary Clinton did not come on board for a number of months. So for Bernie Sanders to do this in just five days as the main challenger, I think is a really good thing. So there is unity now between the two, the last two candidates in this race they are working together. They have been for the last few weeks, it's turned out. And as I've said recently on one of these episodes, that they had suspended attacking each other. You had not heard anything ever since that debate that they had in early March, just about a month ago now, actually, you know, exactly a month ago, really. There was no attacks between the two of them, you didn't hear anything. No ads attacking each other, no real statements attacking each other. And what they were doing for the last three, three weeks plus was working behind the scenes. Both of their staffs, their respective staffs, staff members were working together to devise a plan. So I don't know if the reaction was genuine or not. It seemed like it from Joe Biden when you just heard that audio. Um, whether he knew that Bernie was going to endorse him there and then, or whether he didn't. Uh, But if he didn't know, you could definitely hear that sincerity. If he did know, it's a darn good acting job. But Joe Biden looked terrific yesterday. And look, I've had my criticisms of Joe Biden. And uh, again, that doesn't mean that um, the allegations of Tara Reid are any less significant. They certainly are very significant. And I will continue to push for that to continue to get more coverage. But make no mistake, at the same time, while I stand very strongly in favor of Tara Reid and stand against and believe her and stand against Joe Biden's actions, because I think he did what Tara Reid is alleging that he did in 1993, I am still going to vote for Joe Biden this November. I believe it is still possible for a human being to have those two conflicting things in their heads as F. Scott Fitzgerald once said so that was some of the news that went yesterday other quick things I want to say Jill Karofsky winning a massive victory over right wing judge Daniel Kelly the Democratic challenger will become the Justice on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which is Republican controlled. And she was powered to that win through absentee ballot voting. Vote by mail. Of course, that's the very thing that Donald Trump was saying. It was so corrupt. And he wants voter ID. Oh, yeah. Voter ID, which is the actual voter suppression tool of the Republican Party, among other voter suppression tools that the Republican Party has in its arsenal. Democratic challenger Jill Karofsky with a major win which was not getting a lot of attention during the craziness of Monday but Jill Karofsky is going to be a new justice on the Wisconsin Supreme Court having defeated the right-wing judge that Donald Trump supported by the way Daniel Kelly thanks to absentee ballots and there were people of course as you know last week who is standing on lines for hours, long lines waiting to vote in Milwaukee and other places in Wisconsin. Voting in a pandemic. That's what Donald Trump wants you to do. Vote in a pandemic and die. That is what Donald Trump wants. He wants to get rid of the postal service too. I wonder why that is. Wisconsin went to Joe Biden, by the way, as well. No surprise there. These votes were tabulated yesterday. Yesterday. You know, six days after people stood online wearing masks. I mean, fourth world country. Hello? Joe Biden won Wisconsin. That's not really a surprise. And he's going to continue to get towards that 1,991 delegate number that he needs. And of course, um, that's inevitable now. He's the presumptive nominee. I say let the process continue. I don't think that there should be any cancellation of these primaries unless you're doing vote by, you know, unless you want to just revert to vote by mail and even then you shouldn't cancel them. You should just say it's going to be a vote by mail only primary. And you're seeing governors do this now across the country. So that's another headline. Now the representation on the Wisconsin Supreme Court is four Republican justices to three Democratic justices. Before, it was five to two in favor of Republicans. Now with Karofsky's win, it will be four to three. And in 2023, Democrats can take control of that Supreme Court when there are at least two more seats up for grabs. One other headline, the Democratic governor's on the west coast, that's Gavin Newsom, at least on the west coast. Yes, that Gavin Newsom, California, Kate Brown of Oregon, and Jay Inslee of Washington State all joined in a pact uh, as governors on the west coast to declare that they were going to decide when it was smartest and best to reopen the economy. Same thing on the east coast, you had Ned Lamont of. Connecticut, you had Andrew Cuomo of New York, and you had Phil Murphy of New Jersey. Democrats who are in the governorships of those states all making a pact as well to do the same thing. I think it's a good idea. I overreacted to the story initially because I was thinking, you know, why are people even talking about going back to work? I mean, it is a valid question, though. You know, just over a million people have been tested, only a million or so, just over a million. Have been tested in the United States. A population of 327 million people. We have so far to go. Where it comes to testing. So far to go. And I think it's a mockery. For us to assume that people can even go back to work. When you don't have. Testing. Which is what we must have. Here's what Drew Griffin of CNN, the investigative reporter, had to say to Don Lemon last night on Don Lemon's show. You'll hear Don Lemon's voice first. That this crystallizes a point that I could make, but I think you should listen to Drew Griffin make it. True, part of being able to open up the country involves being able to test people, isolate those who test positive, and be able to track down every person. Uh, that's infected, that an infected person has
2: been in contact with. Is that even possible with what we have in place right now? We are nowhere near close to that level of testing. Testing is getting better. The backlogs that we talked about on your show last week with Quest, Quest now tells us they're one of the biggest, that the backlog is taken care of. But we are still just crippling along trying to handle the tests of those people who are sick and hospitalized. We're nowhere near getting to the amount of tests needed to test the community, let alone test people in the community, and then follow their tracing, their contact tracing that we would need to do to try to figure out everybody they're in contact with and test those people. It's it's a long way off, and um, again,
1: you know, the aspiration coming out of the White House is just far ahead of
0: reality. And indeed. Well said, Drew Griffin from CNN, the investigative reporter there last night on Don Lemon's program. We need to test at least 160 million people. You know, that is the workforce in this country. You need to test 160 million people. There is no infrastructure to even do that. Where is the platform? Where is the infrastructure to do that? This requires a system to be set up. And that needs to be in place. In order to facilitate that number of people. And by the way, Donald Trump. If he cared about saving lives. Rather than wanting to end those lives. He should have back in a very, very latest early January. Had set up a plan, got people together to implement a plan for testing people. When he found out about this in November of 2019, and the US intelligence agencies were telling the White House and telling him that this pandemic was going to be serious business and bad freaking news, that is when Trump should have put measures into place for testing. There is no containment. There's only been mitigation. Let's just quell the number of deaths rather than test people. Let's just quell. We don't have to test anybody, but they're really sick. And you just heard Drew Griffin. They're barely struggling to test the people who are very sick. Trump knew about this in 2017. The outgoing Obama administration, and I talked about this last week, had warned him, did pandemic drills for him, gave him a pandemic drill report. 69 page report that he didn't read, didn't care to, probably threw it in the garbage. Why are people talking about rushing back to work? There's no vaccine and there's not going to be one for at least a year, a year and a half, if not more. These things have to be carefully tested and cultivated. They cannot be rushed into the market. And are these tests even free? Do we know that for a fact? I mean, I know this care package bill of two trillion talks about free test, but has it happened? Are we seeing free testing? Do we know for a fact that's happening now? You cannot talk about opening up economies when you have people who are not healthy And you cannot have a healthy, robust economy when you have people who are not healthy, when you have people who are working, who are sick. You can't have any great economy until you have healthy workers and healthy purchasers. It's that simple. Electric Light Orchestra, ELO, we've turned to stone. Welcome back to The Politocrat. Well, the main idea today is the question that I'm asking here survival of the fittest or survival of the fearless? This pandemic is testing us all. This pandemic is exposing things that we already know about the inequity in this society, about the racism in this society, the systemic racial discrimination in this society, the inequalities among genders, the inequalities between rich and poor, the situations with domestic violence, and so many other different fissures that are now being exploded into view in stark ways. The lack of infrastructure that I've talked about in several Episodes of this podcast. And while you've got politicians in various countries preaching herd immunity and this Darwinist idea of survival of the fittest, I really want to propose something that will become clear later on in this episode about survival of the fearless. And how we really cannot yield to fear in this moment. Despite, obviously, the fear that we are feeling as a result of this pandemic. And for some of us, as a result of a dictator in this country, the United States. Now, I will start by going there. We have had now for the last 50 years, and I dare say even before that, In the United States. A Republican line of dictators. Nixon broke the law. On several occasions. During his time. But even before he got into the White House. He did. In 1968. When he scuttled the peace talks in South Vietnam. And as a presidential candidate. Was saying things. Like the Republicans did of course. In 2015 with that. 47 traitors letter to Iran. I hope people remember that when Tom Cotton who's still in the Senate a Republican senator in Arkansas talked about well you know in his le- in this letter that was co-signed by these 46 other Republican senators. You know some of them were part of the 52 senators of the Republican Party that acquitted Donald Trump earlier this year in that sham trial. But in this letter by Tom Cotton telling the Iranians or hostile enemy to this country. Well, you know, don't pay attention to President Obama's arms deal because, you know, he he can be voted out of office and, you know, we may get someone different in there and, and Congress can really have the power here, not not Obama. So, you really shouldn't get involved with that. Same Republicans who invited Benjamin Netanyahu the prime minister of Israel at the time, and he still is. I know he's, you know, getting, in having this coalition with Benny Gans at the moment. I talked about that a bit yesterday. But this is a Republican Party that has been treasonous for a long time. So with Nixon committing treason in '68 by telling the South Vietnamese to stand down and say, and saying to them, "Well, look, you know what? Don't bother with these peace talks with LBJ and the parties there. You need to get off this peace table." I've got a better deal for you. I've just got to be elected first. Hold on, hold off of these talks. And once I get into the White House, you will get a better deal from me. And they actually agreed. They actually listened to Nixon. And so they left the peace talk table. Nixon got in to the point in which LBJ before this, before he got in, before Nixon got in, LBJ placed a phone call to Republican Senate leader Everett Dirksen. And, you know, we know that LBJ lied us into this war anyway with the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which led him not to seek re-election, as you may remember, if you are of a certain age. And so what happened is, this treason was so blatant and obvious, so obvious, that LBJ called Senator Everett Dirksen and told him, Everett, you see what's happening here? They're undercutting me. They're undercutting me. Nixon is undercutting me at these peace talks in South Vietnam. He's telling them to hold off. He's telling them to stop the talks. He's telling them to walk away from the table. Everett, this is treason. And Everett Dirksen says, I know. This is all on tape. You can find the audio of this. So Nixon gets in in 68. The the Watergate break-in happens in what? 1972. Nixon commits more crimes and covering it up, authorizing it and covering it up. Then, of course, as he's facing certain impeachment and removal, he listens to Senator Barry Goldwater of Arizona, of all people, and decides... ...to resign the presidency... ...effective at noon tomorrow... ...and sure enough on August the 8th... ...of 1974... ...he announced it I guess... ...or or was it August 9th... ...one of those two dates... ...and then he flashed his victory sign... ...and was off in Marine One... ...to to the airbase... ...and then to fly back to California... ...never to be heard from again... ...until 1977... ...until 1977... And in 1977, I mean, this is just, I don't know what to tell you on this one. But, you know, 1977 was a very interesting year. You know, you had the oil crisis, OPEC, you had, um, you know, these crazy things going on, strikes happening happening. The oil crisis was a really big thing. Jimmy Carter was struggling with, dealing with that. The Debbie Downer speech, when he talked about Americans having to become more compassionate and less greedy and less selfish. It was a stunning speech at the time. Absolutely stunning speech. I mean, people were taken aback by it. They were calling it the Debbie Downer speech. It was an absolute stunner but it was the truth and it was a speech that people will few people will ever forget. But Nixon had not been heard from really in essence until he did this interview in 1977 with David Frost the British television journalist. Here's what Nixon had to say ...to David Frost in 1977.
1: But when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal.
0: So Richard Nixon, having committed crimes... ...having broken the law... ...having committed treason... ...is, you know, resplendently saying, ...in his typical gravelly, grim tone. In 1977... ...you know, resigning in disgrace just three years prior, is saying things like, when when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Well, it actually is illegal. And this kind of mentality set the groundwork for what would come with some of the things that you have been hearing. Because it's just incredible how these kinds of things evolve. And they evolve to something that becomes a lot more sinister in in many respects. These are the kinds of things that metastasize. So you've now had this groundwork set by Nixon. In 68, when he committed treason, in 72, when he obviously was heavily involved in the Watergate crimes, he covered them up, he lied about them. He was trying to Tell government he was actually telling government officials in his administration to fire people in the Saturday Night Massacre, you remember that, if you're of a certain age? When he was asking people to fire this person, that, and they refused to do it and they finally got someone to do it? Might have been Robert Bork at the time. But no matter what, Nixon was laying the groundwork And he was doing something as a Republican that a lot of these folks are continuing to do. I mean, this is something when we talk about Donald Trump, this did not just happen by accident that Donald Trump is behaving this way as a dictator. This is not something in isolation. I guarantee you this is not something that just happened and fell out of the sky a couple of years ago. This is something that has been in the works for 50 years, as far as I'm concerned, George W. Bush was getting into the dictator talk himself when he was in the White House. And in fact, not once, but twice. In 2006, he made a statement that is more than an allusion to what Nixon said about when the president does something, that means it's not illegal. The primacy of the office of president Nixon is arguing, gives him or her protection from any kind of problems with prosecution. That is what Nixon is propounding in that piece of audio I just played. And now you've got dictator talk coming from George W. Bush in 2006. And here again in this clip from 2007, listen closely to it because the audio is pretty low.
2: You know, a dictatorship would be a heck of a lot easier.
0: There's no question about it. A dictatorship would be a hell of a lot easier. There's no question about it. And you hear reporters in the White House there laughing. Why are they laughing? Are they uncomfortable, or is it because they think that what he said was genuinely funny? I think it is genuinely terrifying. So this thread of dictatorship and this primacy of the president smacks not only of tyranny and authoritarianism, but also smacks of a great danger to the country and this kind of primacy in the president that makes him akin to a king and a dictator. And this is very, very dangerous stuff. This continues. I mean, this is something that the Republican Party has been all about. All about. You have the Office of Legal Counsel saying things like, well, the president cannot, a sitting president cannot be indicted. That's something that has gone on now for the last 40 or 50 years or so. From Nixon onwards, I guess. It's around that time I think that doctrine was created or sometime after that. The Office of Legal Counsel. This is not law. This is not in the Constitution. This is just commonly held doctrine. And it's not even really written down anywhere. It's not even doctrine. It's just this practice. We don't indict sitting presidents. You know, Donald Trump can shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and get more support and not have handcuffs put on him. I mean, that was a case that was being argued this year and last year. I think it was last year before Denny Chin, the uh, U.S. District Court judge, I believe in New York. And you had Trump lawyers arguing, well, yeah, he could shoot someone and he shouldn't be indicted for it. No, he can't. This was actually happening this year. This is part of that impeachment sham trial. This is part of the arguments that Trump's lawyers made. You had people like Pat Cipollini or Cipolloni getting up, and he should not, he should have his law license taken from him. Talking like that. You had Alan Dershowitz, who has become a real scumbag over the years, to say the least, making these outlandish arguments for dictatorship. Outlandish. Yeah, George W. Bush in the clip I just played. And he's also said stuff like, I'm the decider. This kind of dangerous talk. And this is not something that just happened with Trump. Remember, Dick Cheney's lawyer, David Addington, was propounding this garbage, the unitary executive theory that says that the primacy of government runs through the president. No, it doesn't it flies in the face of the Constitution. Very dangerous talk. You had all this kind of stuff going on in 2007, 2008, 2003, four, five. This stuff has never gone away. Whether it's Nixon in the 70s talking about whether well, the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. Or whether it is George W. Bush. Or whether it is the current occupant of the White House who says things like this from just last year.
2: Then I have an article too where I have the right to do whatever I want as president, but I don't even talk about
0: that. Oh, you talk about it a lot. He talks about it. He's talked about it a lot to the point in which He talked about it yesterday at his insane campaign rally. Where he was arguing that somehow he got total authority. He has total authority. So he went from last year, well, I can do whatever I want in Article 2. By the way, Article 2 does not tell anybody that the president can do whatever he or she wants Go and read article 2 in the constitution. You can find it online. Article 2 deals with the executive branch, where Donald Trump presently is polluting it, destroying it, and consecrating power as a dictator. I think one of there's there's a couple of things that I want to point out. The relevant portions of this section of this article 2 article 2 section 2 he shall have power and by with the advice and consent of the senate to make treaties two thirds provided two thirds of the senate senators present present concur and he shall nominate by and with The advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, judges of the Supreme Court and all other officers of the U.S. But the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper. In the president alone, in the courts of law, or in the heads of departments. That is a portion of Article 2, Section 2, the executive branch, which is saying that Congress can, if it so chooses, by law, vest the impo- appointment of other officers as they think proper, either in the president, in the courts of law, or in the heads of departments. That is Congress's discretion in Article 2, Section 2. Read the Constitution, Trump. Read it. And stop watching Fox News. Section 4. The President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the U.S. shall be removed from office on impeachment and for conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, The Republican Senate, 52 of these folks, acquitted him in that sham trial that we had earlier this year. David Bowie with Ashes to Ashes. And welcome back to The Politocrat. An all-time low, as David Bowie was singing just then. I think we've hit that in this country, although I could also argue that we've been lower than this in this country before. Believe me. With enslavement and genocide in this country, enslavement of black people in this country, you know, the enslavement and of black people and the jim crow era that continues on in more subtle forms police brutality killing of unarmed black people and the genocide of native americans i mean dropping bombs on hiroshima and nagasaki dropping nuclear bombs on them i might add we have been way lower and we have not learned our lesson quite frankly When Donald Trump, by the way, talks about I have total authority, he is saying that he's a dictator. He does not have total authority to open up the economy in this country. He does not have total authority to tell governors to do so. He cannot do that. And the sign is that it's very clear that he wants to become a dictator and he is a dictator. I'm fed up of people telling me, oh, well, if you say he's a dictator, I've seen this on Twitter. Oh, well, that's offensive to people. There's some real dictators in this world. Please, go home. You don't have to have an exact alignment of someone's behavior and attitudes and dictates, pardon the pun, to be a dictator. The things he's saying, the things he's doing. His behavior, it's all very clear and obvious to anybody who wants to open their eyes and see that Donald Trump is a dictator. Total authority, really? No, you don't have any. Governors across the country are telling you to your face. And if you would just read the Constitution, if you would just read the 10th Amendment, for goodness sakes, that... Liz Cheney, the, the, the daughter of Dick Cheney, whose lawyer David Addington was saying quite the opposite about the, you know, talking about the privacy of the unitary executive theory. I mean, if Trump would read anything in his life, he would have read a tweet from Liz Cheney, a Republican, who, by the way, supports him. I really wish these Republicans who do know better and who are scared crapless would grow a spine and actually confront Donald Trump. You would gain some respect here, Liz Cheney and others, who clearly point out that, yes, the 10th Amendment gives the power to the states. I mean, that's a no-brainer if you did civics. Because, you know, in this country, we don't even teach civics anymore. We've we, we just quit any notion of educating people. I mean, if we, if we cared for two seconds about civics. I mean, it's just pretty elementary. But we've run away from educating the public. And if this orange fool, and that's the nicest I can say about this guy, would just read Liz Cheney's tweet from yesterday. The federal government does not have absolute power, she tweets. Quote, and she's quoting from the 10th Amendment. The power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. That's clear. That's obvious. But here's the thing. And this is the important thing to watch here, by the way. And this really is important. This is a tipping point in this country. And just because the Constitution says all these things, and indeed it does, it doesn't mean that this guy is not going to try to override it by actually doing things. He is pushing to, I think, delay or cancel the election in November. I think that's the read on this. Reading between the lines. Joe Madison has talked about this. The Black Eagle Joe Madison has said this And I agree with him This is clearly about Trying to upend the election He's doing everything he can now To avoid being put in prison And from the very start of this Run in the White House To the time he polluted the office The first time he polluted it Back in January of 2000 The first moment he polluted it Back in January of 2017 Every day since He has been trying to maintain power I mean, it's that simple. He's been trying to maintain power and maintain a grip on the White House and desecrate the White House, desecrate the government, desecrate the country by having millions of people possibly die from this pandemic. I mean, that is what is going on here. And I don't think that there is any reason to pretend otherwise. And... There is no doubt about it in my mind that this is what he is doing. There is no doubt about it. None. And I don't know what more evidence does anybody need from this guy in the White House? What more evidence would you need when it is very clear, very clear that Donald Trump is doing everything to try to destroy this country? I mean, he's already succeeding in large measure, to be quite honest. I just don't understand people saying, oh, he's not a dictator. And finally, Twitter gets to putting up hashtags like dictator Trump and King Trump. And these tweets this morning that Trump has had, I mean, earlier today, is just ridiculous. Media gives him airtime. They gave him airtime from 2015 onwards. And it was all about making money. Les Moonves told you that. Les Moonves, he the uh, molester and assaulter of women. And violator of women. No longer at CBS as the CEO. No longer at CBS in any capacity. He told you that on audio tape. Way back when. Not that long ago, by the way. In 2000, I guess it was 2016 or so. Yeah, they were they were cheerleading him. Cheerleading this guy. Mitch McConnell, sham trial. You know you're in a dictatorship and you're in a tyrannical place in this country. When you have a sham trial with no witnesses and no documents. No witnesses and no documents. This is antithetical to the founding fathers. No witnesses, no documents. That's a trial in America? No, it's not. Any kind of Soviet-style trial that these Republicans have been shouting about, oh, Soviet-style, which is exactly what happened this year in the Senate with Mitch McConnell. And by the way, the Senate is a place that we've got to change this year. We've got to change it. We need four Democrats a net gain of four Democrats in the Senate. If we have a net gain of four Democratic seats won by the Democrats this November, we will have a democratically controlled Senate. No more Mitch McConnell, no more criminality, no more corruption. And no more violations of the United States Constitution. I think we got to get real here and start to look at what is facing us what we are looking square in the face at is a dictator there really is no other way around it donald trump is a dictator The OJs give the people what they want. Welcome back to this edition of The Politocrat. And this question, you know, of where we are heading in this country, is it survival of the fittest or is it survival of the fearless? Well, look, I want to play some more sound for you as we get to that question. Don Lemon had something to say about where this country is, especially with the present occupant of the White House. He said this on his show last night on CNN, and I thought that this is something that you might be interested in listening to in case you missed it last night. He turns this briefing into an epic meltdown, making it all about defending himself gaslighting, rewriting history, instead of giving Americans the facts that we all need to save our own lives and the lives of the people that we love. I lost a very good friend this weekend. I wanted to hear from the president how he's going to stop that from happening. Instead, I got a campaign video. What do I need a campaign video for? I want to know How are you going to stop my loved ones from dying? I don't need a campaign video, Mr. President. How are you going to keep friends and loved ones from dying? It is crystal clear from what happened today what the president's top priority is, defending himself rather than focusing on the health and well-being of the American people. And if ever there was a rebuke to the OJ song, got to give the people what they want, It is Donald Trump who, as Don Lemon just outlined there, who certainly is not giving the people what they want unless they want death. There are now about 25,000 people and counting in this country who have died from this coronavirus. And Donald Trump is saying, well, we don't need testing. We don't need testing for everybody. That's ridiculous. I don't think so. This is where Donald Trump's dictatorship is. It's about ending people's lives and keeping him in power with a lower vote population, a lower voting population. That's where this is really going. We know that. And we know that with it is the end of a country. The end of this country is in sight. And there's only one group of people who can stop this from happening. And you know who that is? Us. Gloria Borgia was talking about her feelings about what happened at that press conference and Don Lemon alluded to it at that campaign rally. Don Lemon alluded to this when there actually was a showing of a propaganda video about what Trump has done responding to this crisis. The truth is he's done nothing. Except let people die. He's got blood on his hands. And he actually played for the press. In the White House press briefing room. Yesterday. This video. I mean that is campaigning. From the White House podium. I told you. I've said it. I'm not the only one who have said it. But many have as well. This is a campaign rally. Every day. Two hours. Three hours. It's all campaigning. And the media has got to stop showing this garbage. In fact, MSNBC and CNN cut away from this stuff at one point. When that video was being shown, they cut away. And you had a discussion about the propaganda. That was disgusting stuff. Disturbing stuff. And Gloria Borger, a CNN analyst, was saying this on Don Lemon's show last night. This is what she had to say about that sham, that disgusting stunt, very dangerous stunt that Donald Trump pulled yesterday.
1: Um, I, I just, I don't see how folks in the White House let this occur. Now, I was told that... The-
0: now, that's uh, the, the latter portion of it. But here, let me get to it now. And my apologies. Here's what Gloria Borgia had to say about this disgusting and very dangerous and ominous stunt from Donald Trump yesterday.
1: Uh, Gloria, you first. So tell us, what did we learn from that briefing tonight? Well, not as much as we wanted to learn. I think um, the only clear message coming from the president during all of these briefings, because there are a lot of mixed messages, as you know, the only clear message we're getting is that Donald Trump sees himself as another victim of the pandemic, that uh, people aren't treating him with respect that he now today says oh i have clear authority and how dare any journalist question uh, that when in fact of course the constitution was written because nobody wanted the president to have any kind of uh unchallenged authority so this is a president who feels that he's being attacked unfairly and that he's being uh treated unfairly and that somehow he's being victimized by all of this. It was a disgraceful performance, Don. And in many ways, it was really, it was disturbing, of course, but it was also chilling because this is not what we should be expecting this kind of behavior from the president of the United States from the podium at the White House. It's one thing to have this kind of behavior at a campaign rally, but when the podium of the White House is turned into a campaign event, a taxpayer expense, I think that is completely over the top. And um, I, I just, I don't see how folks in the White House let this occur. Now, I was told that the video was not widely circulated, and I'm not surprised.
0: Oh, well, I'm not surprised either. But this was a campaign rally. That's the one thing I think that Gloria Borgia does get wrong there, although I agree with everything she says. This is a campaign rally, and it's no less disgusting, and it's not acceptable. This is a guy who is a criminal. He is showing you that he's a criminal every day that he exists in that White House. He has committed impeachable offenses. He has been impeached. And he continues to commit crimes daily, daily. This is a high crime in this demeanor that he's done now by not acting swiftly enough to arrest this pandemic and to stop the spread of this pandemic and to stop the loss of life. He has sat back. He has said, oh, New York doesn't need 40,000 to 30,000 ventilators. New York's death toll now is over 10,000 people at the time I'm recording this. And by the time I finish recording it, it's probably going to be closer to 12,000 people. Gloria Borgia hit the nail on the head, though. This is disturbing. This is not what we're looking for. This is the sign that this country is being taken over, not only by a fascist dictator, but by a death cult. I think it's never been clearer than it is now. never been clearer. John Boehner quit politics in 2018, I believe it was, maybe 2017. And Paul Ryan quit in 2019 when it was clear. And I think these guys quit, not just because they were probably going to lose their seats, but also because they knew what was coming as far as Trump is concerned. Here's what John Boehner, the former Republican Speaker of the House, said in 2018 about where we are with this Republican Party and what it has become. Listen to this. There is no Republican Party. There's a Trump Party. The Republican Party is kind of taking a nap somewhere. There you go. I don't think that anyone could say it clearer than that. That is your former Republican Speaker of the House, John Boehner, in 2018. There is no Republican Party, only a Trump Party. And that's exactly right. You have these Republicans now who are basically Trump Party members acquitting him in the Senate when it was obvious to everybody that this guy committed those offenses and should be found guilty of them. He even had several Republican senators, most notably Lamar Alexander, who was quitting the Senate because he's retiring in January of next year, even saying in tweets that, yes, he did commit these crimes, but should we be acquitting him? No, that will be up for the American voters to decide in November. Well, why the heck did you have to uh, make it on us to do that? I mean we we will rise to our responsibility but your responsibility is not to pass the buck Lamar Alexander your responsibility is to do what the evidence and the facts mandate you to do in a court trial this is a trial in the senate and I get it it's a political trial but have some guts your republican colleagues did in 1974 in the house when they voted When they were going to vote. To impeach this guy. Nixon. And now. 40 or so years later. 40 plus years later. 46 years later. You guys have no backbone. You're now a Trump party. 52 of you. 52 Republican senators said. no, Nothing to see here. And now you have allowed this guy to continue to do what he's doing. I mean, this is something that another Republican, John Kasich, when he was running for president for 2016, this is what he warned about in a campaign ad that he did back in 2015. Listen to this and you can hear this. It's still on YouTube somewhere if you dig for it. This is an ad from John Kasich. It's probably the most effective ad of that campaign year. But this was November of 2015.
2: I would like anyone who is listening to consider some thoughts that I paraphrase from the words of German pastor Martin Niebuhr. You might not care if Donald Trump says Muslims must register with their government because you're not one. You might not care if Donald Trump says he's going to round up all the Hispanic immigrants, because you're not one. And you might not care if Donald Trump says it's okay to rough up black protesters, because you're not one. And you might not care if Donald Trump wants to suppress journalists, because you're not one. But think about this. If he keeps going and he actually becomes president, he might just get around to you.
0: was john Kasich's ad in 2015 he is a republican obviously not somebody that i agree with his policies certainly i don't um but that was an ad of truth from a republican a rare one from 2015 and that's what you're seeing in this country you've got kids brown kids in concentration camps in this country and nobody blinks an eye that's the first sign of trouble right there Talking about this being the low point? No, it's been lower. Check back from two years ago when Donald Trump started doing this with taking kids from their mothers and throwing them in concentration camps. Why aren't people outraged about that? There's only a few people that are, it seems. There is no republican party there's a trump party there's a fascist dictator running rampant in the white house and doing untold damage to this country to the psyche of the country he's allowing people to die he's killing them by not acting it's got blood on his hands i said that before here is a very important book i think you should read timothy snyder's book it is entitled on tyranny Subtitled, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. It's about a hundred and some odd pages. Small book, short reading, quick reading. Donald Trump won't read this. Number 17. Chapter 17. Listen for dangerous words. Be alert to the use of the words extremism and terrorism. Be alive to the fatal notions of emergency and exception. Be angry about the treacherous use of patriotic vocabulary. The most intelligent of the Nazis, the legal theorist Carl Schmitt, explained in clear language the essence of fascist governance. The way to destroy all rules, he explained, was to focus on the idea of the exception. A Nazi leader outmaneuvers his opponents by manufacturing a general conviction that the present moment is exceptional. And then transforming that state of exception into a permanent emergency. Citizens then trade real freedom for fake safety. Here's another of the 20 lessons from Tim Snyder's book On Tyranny lesson number 18 be calm when the unthinkable arrives modern tyranny is terror management when the terrorist attack comes remember that authoritarians exploit such events in order to consolidate power the sudden disaster that requires the end of checks and balances the dissolution of opposition parties the suspension of freedom of expression The right to a fair trial and so on is the oldest trick in the Hitlerian book. Do not fall for it. That from On Tyranny by Timothy Snyder. I suggest you read that book, especially now. This erosion of truth is part of what a dictatorship is. And it started very early in 2017. You had Kellyanne Conway talking about alternative facts. Now that tagline did not quite take off. So the new tagline was fake news. But that has taken off and succeeded. And that is jargon that's being used by everybody, regardless of their political station. The key engines in a dictatorship, as far as I'm concerned, is to do several things, including undermine the rule of law, which is what Trump is doing, and make yourself the law, which is what Trump is doing. That is dictatorship. I am the law. I have total authority. Article 2 allows me to do whatever I want. None of that is true, of course. To tell lies, that's another thing you do. When you are in a dictatorship or if you are advocating one or if you are a dictator is to tell lies. Donald Trump has told close to 20,000 lies since he polluted first polluted the office when he started polluting it in 2017. To build this mistrust in government, to build this distrust of government, to dismantle the administrative state. I've talked about this before. To have one party rule, which is what this Trump party wants. They want one-party rule permanently. He had Mike Pence earlier this year, and I played that clip to you in a prior episode, saying on Fox News, I have a feeling that she'll be, and he's referring to Nancy Pelosi, I have a feeling that she'll be the last speaker to sit in that chair for a long, long time. Like I posed back in an episode back then, a few days back, a few weeks back, what does Mike Pence know that the rest of us do not know? These guys are planning for dictatorship. They are dictators. Donald Trump is exactly that. The New York Times report about Trump and all Trump does now is attack the media. That's another engine of a dictatorship. Discredit the media, attack the media so that you can plant this seed in people's minds that when these reports, like the one in the New York Times over the weekend about how Trump did nothing and sat back when all of his officials were saying, do something, he ignored them all. And so that seed is planted so that you'll have at least 10% of the population saying, well, no, that New York Times, eh, no, don't trust them. New York Times doesn't help itself by sometimes stepping on its own foot and doing some poor reporting and uh, some hideous articles. But there are some good reporters at the New York Times who have done some excellent work, especially when it comes to digging deep on Donald Trump. So they certainly should be given a round of applause in this instance for their really good researching and writing. And the documentation, too, is there. You want to know something about media? Pushback. I would advise, if you're going to show these darn campaign rallies, those reporters in that room who are asking this dictator question should stop calling him Mr. President, because he's not that. Don Lemon, you should stop calling him Mr. President. All of you should. He's not a president, he is a dictator. And I think that the media should start to become more like Paula Reed of CBS. Listen to what Paula Reed did during this press conference slash, really, campaign rally last night.
1: You bought, the argument is that you bought yourself some time and you didn't use it to prepare hospitals. You didn't use it to ramp up testing. Right now, you're
0: so
2: disgraceful. It's so Every disgraceful the way you said it. Let me just. Listen, I just went over it.
1: I just went over it.
2: Nobody thought we should do it. And when I did it.
1: But what did you do with the time that you bought? You know, the month of February. You know, know we did. Yeah, what do you do?
2: What do you do when you have no case in the whole United States? When you, you, excuse me, you reported it. Zero cases, zero deaths on January 17th.
1: The entire January, I said in January. January video has a complete gap On
2: January 30th. 30th What
1: did your administration do in February With the time that
2: your travel ban bought? A lot, what? a lot And in fact we'll give you a list What we did, in fact part of it was up there it We did a lot a Look, look You know you're a fake You know that Your whole network, the way you cover it is fake And most of you, and not all of you but the people are wise to you. That's why you have a lower a lower approval rating than you've ever had before, times probably three. And when you ask me that question, let me ask you this. Percent. Why didn't Biden why didn't why did Biden apologize?
0: Now he's talking about Joe Biden. Now listen, that is a substantial portion of the exchange between Paula Reed and the dictator in the White House. And kudos to Paula Reed. It's sad that you even have to freaking well tip your hat. To a reporter for doing their job, because we used to have reporters, Mike Wallace. We used to have reporters, Helen Thomas, who would ask these kinds of questions, who would push back aggressively, like what you just heard there from Paula Reed, who, incidentally, in addition to being a White House reporter, is also an attorney, and it showed too. But that is the roadmap to pushing back against the dictator is to get in his face, bully the bully that is the key, and these White House press corps reporters must take the lead of Paula Reed and really push back against this, and there are some that do Yamish Alcindor has done so. We've seen this with April Ryan. We've seen this with Peter Alexander and Jonathan Call and Jim Acosta. Those are five people who are pushing back. And obviously now Paula Reed. The press corps has got to be emboldened now. And to hell with if you lose your job. I'm sorry. You're going to you're going to be able to land on your feet elsewhere. Honestly, you will. You may disagree with me, but I think you will land on your feet just fine. You have 20 million people And God knows how many more than that. You heard Paula read, there talking about 20, 21 or 22 million people, 24 million, whatever the number was, unemployed. And she kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And he was rattled. He had a meltdown. This is what you must do, reporters in the White House. You must keep pushing this guy. Do not fear this guy. He's a bully. He is terrified of his position. Yes, he may be in power as a dictator, but he's terrified. He knows that he's going to lose this November. That's why he wants to close this thing down. And I really do want to say thank you, Paula Reed, Helen Thomas, had she been uh, alive today, would be doing exactly the same thing that Paula Reed is doing. And Paula Reed, I'm sure, is probably not going to get a front row seat, but so what? You know, this is what you have to do. You have to push back. Oh, we've got a lot. What did you do? Lots of things. She's asking him about what he did in February. He did nothing in February except play golf and tweet and lie and watch Fox News and continue to gut Obamacare. And she pushed him. And he's like, a lot. What did you do? A lot. No, you didn't. Oh, what did you do? Oh, well, we're going to be putting that in legal pub- We're going to publish this in a legal file. Give me a break. If you did a lot, then say what you did. And that was what Paula Reed did. She battered him. And that is what every member of that press corps now must do. I mean, a few weeks ago, this is the guy that said, oh, I'd like to get rid of 75 to 80% of you. This is a dictator talking. There's three of you that I really like. The rest of you, I'd like to get rid of. It's a dictator. This is not what the White House must be used for. This is not. But this did not fall out of the sky. This is a 50-year progression or regression, I should say. So what do we do about all of this? Having unloaded all of that, what do we do about all this? We must move forward and we must move forward affirmatively. And this is what we must start to do. We must heed the words of FDR in 1933. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That was from his 1933 inaugural address. That is exactly what we must overcome. These are fearful times uncertain times. But we've got to start getting organized. We have to. I mean, there's just no other way to do it. I know that this is the time that People are fearful. There's lots of different circumstances, but we've got to make sure that we have a plan for November. I have talked about this before in a previous episode. November, November, November. We have to have a plan. Are you going to tell your friends to vote? Are you going to tell your relatives to vote? Your family to vote? Are you going to inform people about voting and educate them? It's going to take all of those efforts and more. We need a supermassive turnout to drown any voter suppression efforts. Because believe me, there are going to be, they already are voter suppression efforts. They are being tested out in the Democratic primaries. We've seen that last week in Wisconsin. We've seen that, of course, in Texas, in California. We've seen that in various states. This was a dry run. All of this kind of voter suppression This, oh, let's have voter ID. Let's not have vote vote by mail. Let's get rid of it. Let's dump the post office. By the way, call your senators and your congressperson at 202-225-3121. Tell them to save the post office, that we need it. You must speak out about this. I'll get into that another time in more detail. But what we can do is be fearless. We cannot yield to fear. And we've got to do more than pray.
2: You can pray until you faint. But if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. And there's no need of running and no need of saying, honey, I'm not going to get in the mess. Because if you were born in America with a black face, you are born in the mess.
0: That was Fannie Lou Hamer back in the 1960s. Fannie Lou Hamer, a civil rights leader and a human rights leader. She is somebody who was on the front lines in the civil rights movement during the Freedom Summer and beyond. One of the great leaders that we've ever had in this country is Fannie Lou Hamer. And as you heard there, she said, you can pray until you faint. But if you don't try to get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. And she's absolutely right. She was right then and she's right now. As they say in the Bible, faith without works is dead. We must be fearless. The message is we must be fearless. We must be fearless. We must stand tall, stand firm. We are the last line of defense against a dictator. The Republican Senate rolled over. The corporate news media is not tough enough. Although you heard from Don Lemon and Gloria Borgia in no uncertain terms. But most of the corporate news media is not pushing back the way that you heard those voices do, and the way that you heard Paula Reed do, and the way that you've heard Yamish Alcindor do, and the way that you've heard April Ryan do, and the way that you've heard Peter Alexander do, and the way that you've heard Jonathan Carl do, and the way that you've heard Jim Acosta do. There are one or two others, but beyond them, beyond those six or seven people. There is not this spirited pushback. I don't see it in the Democratic Party either, by the way. And I've written about this. I've talked about it. And that's why I think Bernie Sanders, as I started this episode with Bernie, is going to be very important now to Joe Biden. He is going to be campaigning on his behalf. He's going to be firing up the base. And this is before Biden even mentions who his VP is, before he even names that person. It's going to be a woman. But I think he should be naming that person now. After we're getting deluged, lies upon lies upon lies daily for two, three hours, the media should stop covering his press conferences, his campaign rallies, and then play back the relevant parts for their stories and then they can rebuke and and critique and criticise. This guy is a danger to the country and to the world. And we are seeing that in real time, right now. I'm Omar Moore. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Politocrat.